Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Have you ever bought something, owned something that really inspired you to up your game? A tennis racket, a new pair of running shoes, a new piece of cooking equipment that made you just want to cook your brains out? I know that when I first started cooking on induction burners, I just couldn't stop. It was so much fun. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Some of the features that are available on this car include dynamic sky panorama glass roof, front row massaging seats, you know you want that, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, which you will want when you check out the multi-terrain select. These are really great features, the kind of features that will make you proud and happy to own a Lexus GX. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. I cover all things food, from cooking to gardening to fabulous ingredients to junk food, health, sustainability, even policy. You might say I'm obsessed with everything about food. Food is the one substance that connects everything to everything else, and it connects us all. Not only can we not live without it, not only does it determine much of what goes on in the world, but we love it. Hi, it's Mark Bittman, and welcome to Food. We have some musical guests today who are into cooking, into food, and amazing, amazing musicians. I think you'll enjoy this, so stay tuned. As always, if you have any questions, answers, comments for us, call us at 833-FOODPOD. That's 833-366-3763, or email us at bitmanpod at gmail.com. Okay, on with the show.
Our first recipe today is a couscous salad with fennel and raisins. Francesco talks about making homemade couscous, and that made me look around for something that we had that would fall into that category. This is a a favorite and just wonderful in fall when you can get fresh fennel and some red wine in here. It's a very autumnal dish. Start with a cup of couscous, can be regular or whole wheat, and cook that in salted water until it's just tender, tasting as you go. If you already have cooked couscous, you'll want two, two and a half cups. In a small pot over medium heat, warm half a cup of port wine if you have it, or red wine if you don't, and into that put a half a cup of raisins. Cook that over low heat until the raisins have absorbed most of the wine and are tender and plump. It'll only be five or ten minutes. Let that cool off a bit. Meanwhile, you can trim the fennel. I usually set aside a few of the feathery fronds for garnish and cut the fennel thinly. So now you have everything you need. You put the raisins with the port in a large bowl with about a half a cup of vinaigrette, preferably made with lemon, and some fennel seeds, a teaspoon or so. Just whisk that for a second to combine, then toss in your couscous and your fennel until everything is evenly coated. Taste and adjust for seasoning, and you can add more vinaigrette if you like. It's also nice with some fried nuts or fried shallots on top if you feel like getting fancy. Don't forget those fennel fronds for garnish, too. Okay, I think you'll like that. When we first started this podcast, one of my goals was to have guests who were not food people, but interesting people who were interested in food. That includes a large swath of humanity, but it's great to have people who I admire and who want to talk about food and their profession. So one of my first dream guests was Rhiannon Giddens, who's one of my favorite musicians, a fantastic singer, musician, and literally a genius. She received the MacArthur Grant. I'm giddy about her music. She now collaborates a great deal with the wildly talented multi-instrumentalist Francesco Teresi, who is also her life partner. So here you go. Dreams do come true. Today I'm joined by both Giddens and Teresi. If you haven't listened to Rhiannon, hit pause here and do it. Her voice is soothing and powerful and spooky, surreal, amazing. You just got to hear it. You might want to start with her, their latest album called They're Calling Me Home, which was recorded with Teresi in Ireland during lockdown. It speaks of the longing for the comfort of home, as well as the metaphorical call home of death. Giddens co-founded the Grammy Award-winning Carolina Chocolate Drops, and she's been nominated for six additional Grammys for her work as a soloist and a collaborator. Her mission is to lift up people whose contributions to American musical history have previously been erased or ignored, and to work toward a more accurate understanding of the country's musical origins. Francesco Teresi was called a musical alchemist by the Irish Times. He left his native home in Italy more than 20 years ago to study jazz piano and early music at the Royal Conservatory of The Hague and has been working successfully as a musician since 2004. He currently performs on piano, accordion, harpsichord, organ, lutes, various lutes, cello, banjo, frame and goblet, drums, and more. Since 2018, he's collaborated with Giddens, on a duo project that combines music from the Mediterranean with music from the African diaspora in the Americans. Start by listening to his work on the piano, you will be transported. We will talk about much of this and more, including cooking, today on Food. Stand by. Stand by. 
So I wanted to start with just a little bit about your current situation. You spent lockdown in Limerick, Ireland, yeah? Yeah, I was in Limerick and Francesco was in Greystones. So I'm just kind of south of Dublin, so we're kind of on opposite sides of Ireland. The kids were with you? You were The four of you weren't together? No, I have two kids and Francesco has a kid. Oh, yeah, they're not we're from previous from relationships, previous so relationships, it's yeah. a bit complicated. It's it complicated, <laughs> yeah. So we can't literally live together, you know, yeah. at the moment yeah. because of the small kids. Can I ask if you were collaborators before you were life partners or vice versa? It kind of started at the same time, yeah. more or less, yeah. Which is kind of like who we are, you know? And the unique thing that we saw in each other is that, you know, the way that we live our life is imbued with all of these things all together all at the same time. So there's no separation of our life, which made previous relationships kind of difficult, you know, because if you can only communicate in one side of your life, it, you know, it's hard. So we've found in each other someone who we could, you know, really express all the different sides of who we are with each other. Yeah, it was all in from the yeah. start. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I know nothing about your relationship, and I don't want to, but from a musical perspective, it's clearly working. Did you just start touring again? Is this your first tour? Yeah, yeah. It was like a year and a half. We did a gig in Hamburg in August, and that was the first one back. And this is the first tour, so we're on a bus. And, you know, we made the decision to, you know, do vax and tested and masked, you know, at all of our shows and had to work with some venues. But, like, people seem to be really happy to come out with those kind of rules in place and we're doing the COVID bubble and stuff backstage. And yeah, it's a bit of a miracle I'm here in this room right now. I thought we were going to do this. I was still in Dublin because I didn't have a visa until the day before my flight. Because there is a travel ban, as you might know, from Europe, you know, so it's very, very hard for anyone who doesn't have an American passport to get in, literally. And you have to apply for this special exemption. It was a long process. And they literally called me from the embassy the, day the before. afternoon before <laughs> my flight. We had given up. She was going to do the whole tour by herself with other musicians. I was I was going to be depressed in a corner crying and cooking. <laughs> ah, there's always cooking. <laughs> You know, yeah, I mean, that's what kind of saved me throughout the entire pandemic. Yeah, we, <laughs> so. we both crawled into the kitchen and kind of like lived there for the But it's now. a miracle that I'm here, so yeah. it's great. Let's get into the music a little bit. I mean, you're obviously incredibly accomplished, but you're also very hard to pin down and unpredictable. I'm sure you want it this way. Your music, solo, collectively, and with other people, everything is just so eccentric and eclectic and global. It's really hard to say, here's what these people do. In a way, there seem to be no rules. I mean... All of this is sort of uncategorizable, and I love uncategorizable, but this is a very, very broad spectrum. Is there an underlying common thread? Is there a philosophy here? Is it just, we're doing what we want to do? Well, I mean, we use the music as a tool to tell the story that we want to tell, which is that there is no category. Categories come from commercialism and consumerism right? Because you need a box to sell from. The segregation of American music that happened in the 20s, where you had race records and hillbilly records, happened because of capitalism and a bit of white supremacy <laughs> thrown in too. So when you consider like, is it that are we mad or is everybody else mad, right? 
in terms of we are playing music with the tools that we have been given and the tools that we have developed. And we don't really care where the tools come from. There's a deeper sort of reaching across the aisle feel to what both of us do. And I think partly because we both come from experiences of being the other. In my case, being a mixed race, you know, American in the South and not knowing where I fit. And in Francesco's case, being culturally a Southern Italian, like all of his family is from Sicily, but then he lives in, you know, he grew up in Torino in the North of Italy. And that's a fairly big difference, you know? And so when you kind of have that viewpoint, I think, and that's one of the things that we connect on. And you just see that wherever people mix, then people come from above and they split that up because then it's easier to control. It's easier to sell. So I think our story, I mean, sorry to get super deep. No, no, this is great. This is awesome stuff. You know, that's why we do what we do and push back against the categories, even though it makes us harder to sell, you know, Mm -hmm. ironically, you know, like that, just the two of us, that is sousaphone and harmonicas and drum and voice. That's it, you know? And it's just like, if I was a pop singer, you know, I could have probably put that out and gotten a lot more attention on it. But because I'm coming from over here, that's not what I'm supposed to do is a sound like that. It's a crazy sound. So there's nowhere for the team that's in place to sell it, you know? And this is the problem with American music is that there are so many furrows you know, and you have to go down. Once you start down a certain road, you have to keep going down a road. And it's kind of like it, what happens is that it makes, I think a lot of music that a lot of people would like to hear, you know, not get heard because, well, it's not supposed to be, (laughs) you're a country singer. You're not, you're not supposed to be doing this kind of music, you know? And there are more and more people who are challenging that, which is great. And if you challenge it from the commercial side over to the non-commercial side, it's easier. But I've always gone the other direction. You know, like once you start in sort of the folk roots, Americana world, you're kind of in a particular sphere. And that's fine. Like I never looked for a top 40 hit, you know, as, as long as I can pay my bills and reach my audience, you know. And being able to work with Francesco has really broadened unbelievably. It's like for me, it, it contextualized what I was doing with American music in a broader global sense, you know, his bringing the idea of the, you know, music around the Mediterranean and how a lot of that is actually a blueprint for what happened in the Caribbean and, you know, whatever music we're doing or digging into or bringing into our sound, there's always the utmost respect for the traditions that comes from. If it's not a tradition that we are blood related to, like, I think that's a real limited way to look at it. Like who deserves to be able to do what you know, what we find is as we go is that, and this is why it was very interesting to talk to you is that, you know, we find that a lot of the things that we're discovering in music ways are exactly the same in food ways in terms of how cultures work, how people move, how things affect each other. What we find is more we dig into food and more that we find that those are actually the two markers of cultural progress is food and music. That's where you see it, the plainest in terms of how cultures affect other cultures And I don't understand why we don't look at history through those lenses. You know, the more that we can look through them, through the thing that everybody does food, everybody eats, and everybody either plays or listens to music, right? I mean, it's just like, I don't know anybody who doesn't have music as a part of their life. So we can really see a lot of cultural trends in these two things, but they're the ones that people don't value. (laughs) I think there's an important distinction to be made in who is profiting off of these things. I think when you have a historical framework of 
the dominant society profiting off of the minority contribution to that society, then you're going to have a pushback against that. And I think it's a very natural thing. But I think what happens is that we get into this either or mentality of like, there's no nuance here. It's like, we should be able to do whatever we want with your cultural artifact. And it's like, it depends. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, are you bringing respect to this? Are you profiting off of it and not sharing that profit? It's like, I don't know an old timer who wouldn't be more than happy to be paid for whatever song he taught some blues person from Britain who then made a shit ton of money off of it. Pardon my language. I don't know of somebody who wouldn't be like, yeah, give me that money. You got a hit off of it. Awesome. Give me some of that. You know, it's like, it's not so much that don't use it. Don't do it. It's like, why are you doing it? Right. And are you honoring it? And is it actually a natural blending because you've been living next to me cheek by jowl, which is where a lot of American music comes from. It's like black people playing country music, country people playing black music. Like what is black? What is country? Like, you know, Jimmy Rogers having that bluesy twang and, you know, loads of blues musicians doing the thing, you know, the terms start to be meaningless when it's a real natural kind of thing. But then again, when you start packaging and people come in with marketing budgets and stuff, then it really messes it up. And then you start talking about cultural appropriation, you know? So it's just like, I don't know. It's very complicated, I think. I just want to say that if you look you, Rhiannon, up in Wikipedia, this is what it says your musical influences are. I don't know if you've ever done this, but it's kind of funny. Folk, old-time music, bluegrass, country, gospel, blues, jazz, soul, R&B, Celtic, Americana. So it's not like there's anything that you play that's kind of any of those, really. They're all influenced by each other, which I think is what's so cool about the music. Well, I mean, I think th I mean, that's what music was before... And I keep, it's a dead horse that I flog all the time, but before, you know, the record companies came in, that's what music sounded like. If you hear those really early recordings of American music, there was all of that, all of it in it. And so many of what people were playing, because they just played what they played and they played the instruments that they played. And there wasn't this idea of separating things, you know? So for me, it's a very natural thing. And I think I hear it in all of American music. It's all a melange. Like, there's somebody you would call R&B and somebody you would call country soul. And you're like, but what's the difference? I don't know. You know, and that doesn't surprise me. People are always like, what kind of music do you play? I'm like, how long do you have? Like, I just started saying American music. That's what I play. I think that's good. This is that, that Ray Charles album where he, he's singing country music. I mean, to him, it was clearly important that he was saying that he was singing country music. But to me, it was like Ray Charles music. And Francesco, can you just comment on the same kind of thing from a European perspective? I mean, I just wanted to say about what you just said. That's how I came across Rhiannon, because I was kind of digging myself into a, a hole with it, that exact question that you had. You know, I was going like, I hear old-time music, and I mean, I hear all this bluesy stuff in old-time music, and then, I don't know, everything seemed connected. I just wanted to know at the beginning of jazz, because I come from jazz. I trained as a jazz pianist in conservatory, you know? And doing all this research, I came across the Carolina Chocolate Drops, and I was like, oh my God, that's the missing link. It's the Black String Band. You know, and I started reading about it, and then, of course, when I met Rihanna, I heard a lot of that music, which in the 19th century was this birth of everything American, basically. You know, and it's all in there. It's just that the history has been erased, and we have no recording. So, so that's uh, that's the main issue. In terms of Europe, oh, God, I don't know. It's a little more complicated because uh, there is a lot of very geographically different. You know, Europe is small, but it's extremely fragmented, you know. What I find, I mean, it, during the research, because I do, I did a lot of research in early music, is that a lot of the things were way more connected 
back then, you know. So I find that a lot of music we today we consider folk or traditional was very overlapping into we would call what we would call classical music, you know. And a lot of the stuffs are very much more connected to dance music. This kind of then separation towards highbrow classical music happened, you know, at some stage in the nineteenth century and it disconnected from a lot of other things. But earlier than that, a lot of these things were really bleeding into each other, you know. In terms of commercial music, I don't know, because like commercial music was invented in America. It didn't exist before. We kind of got it then from you guys, you know. And what a lot of people listened to was also American music, you know, because all the records that came from America first, you know. I think it's a really interesting point that a lot of people don't really think about how young the commercial music industry is. Commercial music means you could make a record or you did make a record. Before that, it was hard to sell anything, right? You sold sheet music. There was a thriving sheet music industry, but it meant you were making it at home. You were making that music at home in your parlor or, you know, for a party or whatever. And it wasn't like a consuming, it wasn't like, I'm going to consume this record and then I don't need the musician anymore. <laughs> it, it totally changed everything. And it was born in, it was born in the States, you know, yeah. but it was born really recording immigrant music because they had recorded all this classical music, but now they were trying to expand. And that's really the birth of the American music industry is when they went out like the Ralph Peers and started recording what regular Americans were making. And a lot of that was immigrant music to then sell to those same immigrant populations. So again, it was born out of capitalism. And, you know, consumerism, but it then engendered this whole. And there were people that were pushing back, you know, because there were lots of people when records started coming out, they said, this is the end of music. (laughs) And it's like, it seems crazy. But when you think about it, you can see how they were thinking. This is the end of musicians being needed for music. Because it's like you can recreate music at home. You know what I mean? Without a musician. We're going to take a quick break. And then we'll be back with more food in just a minute. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Life is full of what ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
we're all drinking more water these days, and we're all concerned that we're drinking safe, clean, unpolluted water. Yet, according to our friends at the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in the United States have harmful contaminants in their tap water. That's why it's worth checking out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. They remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and are specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, you know, those forever chemicals, in your water supply. PFAS, by the way, is found in almost 45% of U.S. tap water. AquaTrue has water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. Their proprietary purification technology is independently tested to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAS, nitrates, and many, many others. The filters are affordable and long-lasting, and they do not need changing every two or three months like so many others. They last from six months to up to two years. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you won't be buying bottled water and it'll save the environment from tons of single-use plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and makes a great gift. Today, listeners to Food with Mark Bittman receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to AquaTrue.com, that's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com, and enter code Bittman at checkout. For 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier, go to AquaTrue.com and use the promo code Bitman, B-I-T-T-M-A-N. Have you ever bought something, owned something that really inspired you to up your game? A tennis racket, a new pair of running shoes, a new piece of cooking equipment that made you just want to cook your brains out? I know that when I first started cooking on induction burners, I just couldn't stop. It was so much fun. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Some of the features that are available on this car include dynamic sky panorama glass roof, front row massaging seats, you know you want that. Available 33-inch all-terrain tires, which you will want when you check out the multi-terrain select. These are really great features, the kind of features that will make you proud and happy to own a Lexus GX. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Let's switch to food. So you're not professional food people. You're professional musicians, but you love food. You cook. I wonder if your food tastes are equally eclectic, if you have the same sort of philosophy. You're eating food from North Carolina one night and Ireland the next night and Sicily the night after, or what? How you do these things? Well, I'm going to speak very briefly because he's the foodie and he's got the palate as well because he grew up eating really good food and fresh food. And so he can taste things that I have no idea. I grew up eating, I mean, my mom, you know, did the best she had, but, you know, either beans and rice or, 
you know, like kind of American fare and chips and peanut butter and, and stuff like that, you know, and I ate a lot of junk food and I ate a lot of fast food. So, you know, I had to reset my palate, I read Fast Food Nation. <laughs> I kind of went, oh my God, I've, I've got your books, you know, how to cook everything and how to cook everything vegetarian. And, you know, just trying to teach myself basic cooking. He's like making things that, you know, I think in another life you were a chef. Cause that's the way you think. Like he makes stuff up and I'm like, what is that? It's amazing looking like it could be on a, maybe. I mean, you know, I can't be very humble though. And he's not gonna, <laughs> no, I mean, you know, I come from a, a tradition my mom is an amazing home cook, you know, and she's got the tradition because all of her family is from Sicily. So she learned all of that, but then she moved North. So she absorbed a lot of the more Northern influences in her food as well. And she was always extremely creative. You know, she would make up stuff, try things all the time, you know, like it's supposed to be right. Uh, she didn't, never taught me anything, but I was exposed to it, you know, and now it's actually the time when I go to her and I go like, can you teach me how to make that? And it's like, there's no teaspoons. There's not, you know what I mean? It's like every, in Italian we say, a occhio. I want to make actually a cookbook called Aokyo, <laughs> which means with your eye. You see with your eye, you know? And it's like, of course you see with your eye, but if you've done it 20 times, you know with your eye what it's supposed to look like. But you know the way, it's like, that's the technique part, right? When you learn techniques of making food, like with music, you become more confident and you understand the process, the technical process of how food is created and how certain cooking processes, you know, interact and that kind of stuff with ingredients. So that's the stuff that I'm trying to develop a little bit by myself in terms of techniques. Conceptually, I mean, obviously, I have all of this. Uh, my family comes from Western Sicily, which is a very interesting part of Sicily, very connected to North Africa. So there is a huge Mediterranean influence. I mean, the main traditional dish there is couscous with fish. You know, I actually just made it a couple of weeks ago. I was posting on my Instagram that I, for the first time, made from scratch, from semolina. I made. Oh, you made the couscous itself? Yeah. You know, the result is like memories of childhood, of spending summers in Sicily with my aunts, making all of this amazing food. And each one of them was specialized in one of these quite complex dishes that require a lot of preparation. Other than that, I'm completely obsessed with Japanese food. And I think, so last year, for the first time, I started trying to make it following various blogs. And I think that thing is permeating my concept of food a lot, because I think you know, Italian food and Japanese food, they're both quite simple in theory. They're not necessarily about complex techniques. They're more about just pure ingredients. And the basis is always the same. You know, it's like in the same way we have like the oil and you know what I mean? They have whatever the soy and the mirin and all of those flavors. And then they just combine things. So I'm starting now to create a few fusion concepts that go in between. I made a Sicilian style fish ramen the other day, which was quite interesting. So yeah, I don't know. basically how and, and we've talked about this a lot is how we look at music is how we look at food as well, especially him. And it's like the idea of when we look at different, you know, like I've studied Scottish music. I was drawn to not, not just Scottish music, but Gaelic music in, in particular, like songs sung in Gaelic by, you know, Gaelic speakers in the highlands and islands of Scotland and work songs and walking songs and all this kind of stuff. And there was particular cultural reasons why I was interested in that, which I won't get into now, but I, you know, went to Scotland and I studied with native speakers and I like really dug into the language and I dug into the history. I read a lot about Scotland and so when I do things like mouth music, push to be like from Scottish culture, I feel very confident. I'm like, I'm representing this. I'm not Scottish. Like probably I have Scottish blood, you know, I'm you know, half white, whatever. But that doesn't matter to me more. I think the blood lineage matters less to me than the knowledge 
about where you're getting the influence from, right? So at this point, the influence comes out in a very natural way in certain ways. And I feel very confident that I know what I'm talking about. And I'm not trying to pretend like I'm Scottish, you know? And I think the food is the same way. It's like, if you're interested in a different food way, it's like you learn about the the tools that go into it and you learn as much as you can from people who know what they're talking about. And then as you, as it incorporates into your own sort of body of work, it, vocabulary. You know, vocabulary. It's like vocabulary. Yeah. Really, you know? It's the same. It's like you have to learn a different language. You have to learn a different language musically. You have to learn a different language food-wise. Like, you know, it's not this set of ingredients. It's this set of ingredients and this set of techniques, you know. And it's interesting because then from the historical point of view, it's also exactly the same. Yeah. You know, like one of the things that I'm really obsessed with is looking at Sicilian food and looking at all the different influences stratified because it was dominated by everyone in the history, you know, the Greeks, the Arabs, especially the Arabic influence. I'm very, very interested in that, you know, because there's so much that the Arabs brought into Italy that nobody talks about and everyone denies, like pasta, for example. (laughs) The first time we have, you know, I've written documentation about pasta being made industrially, dried, short pasta, it was in Sicily during the Arabic domination, so in the Middle Ages. That's where it all started, you know, ice cream. Like, there is just there's so much, and I'm always really fascinated to see how all these things combine and how all the histories have been erased, you know, and how, you know, people don't talk about this stuff, even though it's so much there in front of your eyes all the time, you know, when you look at the food, even more than music, I find, you know. And that's why it's so important to talk about these things, because then, you know, it's a lot harder to be like, oh, we're so different from them. There's like, well, actually, no, because like there's all these things that we share and there's all this, you know, cultural. It's like music and food is where the cultural mixing happens in a positive way. It's where people come together naturally. It's where you can see it in a way that's not threatening. You can tell the story of how people mix in a way that that doesn't threat social economic, you know, sociopolitical hobby horses. And so that's one of the reasons why we do what we do, musically speaking, because it is it is a way to kind of get through to people like, actually, <laughs> that we're way more alike than we are different. Yeah. Anyway. Right. When I was learning how to cook, people would say Sicily was the first place there was fusion food, was the first place that many foods from different places came together, which of course is not true. It wasn't the first place. There was no first place, but it was an early place. Yeah. I think everything culture is fusion, yeah. really, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's so loaded, but there's not that much that's really indigenous at this point because 90% of the world's people, whatever the number is, are not living where their ancestors were living. I think as well, you know, so if you talk to any Italian, I'm sure you know many that are foodies, they're completely obsessed with tradition and culture. But that's most of the times it's completely made up. Like it's not really that old. So like all these dishes that are like supposed to be written in stone, 20 years ago, you look at all the documentation there is, they were still different. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. And that's the same with music because like, you know, a great example is the Bauron, which is like the traditional drum in Irish traditional music. It's like the frame drum that they play with the stick. It's like, you know, and people think that it's this old ancient, ancient tradition, you know, and it's not. You know, it was like, I think, popularized in the 50s. But memories are short because generations are short. 20 years is a generation, right? So even fiddle music, which people think went back to like, you know, cavemen, like it couldn't have because the fiddle is not even that old. And when you get to real fiddle music, like, you know, what you think of as like sort of Irish traditional music that goes back to like the 1700s, 1800s, you know, and was a pan-European thing. But then 
how does it get packaged? You know, how does it become part of the national, like who, who are we? And it's, and it's always an attempt, especially in a new country where immigrants move to an attempt to create the, the national character. Who are we? What does it mean to be Irish? Okay. To have the bower on that. We own that, you know, and you don't own it because like there are frame drums all over the world. And you know what I mean? And it's not to denigrate Irish people. It's like, everybody has this, we own this thing. And it usually comes out of this nationalism that is not particularly conducive to narratives of mixing. <laughs> Nobody wants to, to, to know that their national instrument came from somewhere else, you know, even though all of them did. The actual really old traditions, like the harp tradition is a super old tradition in Ireland, but that's never talked about. That actually is the super old Irish tradition, but like, it's not as cool <laughs> as metal music. It's harder to learn, you know, like, it's just to say, like, there's nothing wrong with playing the Bowron or being into fiddle music, it's just like, don't call it something that it's not, you know, just, and, and not to the exclusion, and you, nobody else can have it because it's only ours. That, that's that's when we have issues. Yeah, there is know? this kind of protection of something which is invented tradition. It, it really is invented. And, you know, with food, it's the same thing. It's like now all Italians are so mad at Italian-American food because they think it's completely wrong and they made it up and it's not at all. But then when you look at how did people actually eat in the 19, late 19th century in Italy, you'll find that there is an amazing series of interesting connections with Italian-American food, you know, then of course it developed in the United States towards different things, but there's no denying that it came from the place, you know what I mean? And a lot of Italians will deny that. And I, I find it very interesting, you know, because I used to get just mad like everyone else. And now I'm more fascinated. I'm going like, okay, so, you know, what is the root of that? Yeah. Well, and of course, the smaller you make the division, I mean, in Italy, people will fight about food from 10 miles away and yeah, say, like, yeah, literally, you stole that from us. I just want to touch on bread briefly, because I know you've taken up bread baking, and uh, I've been baking bread for 40 years, but I wanted to know what whether this was a COVID-related thing and where you're at and how that's going. Well, I started making bread before COVID. I was, uh, you know, I would make a yeast bread from the Enchanted Broccoli Forest, I think. <laughs> you hippie. I know, such a hippie. <laughs> so I was making that bread. It's a long process. And I got into the whole kneading and rising and all that kind of stuff. But during COVID, I got actually, I got a thermomix. So I started making yeast bread in the thermomix, you know, which is my daughter can now do that. <laughs> so I'm like, that's great. And it's a, it's a wholemeal bread that my kids will eat the crusts off, you know, and now they're totally spoiled for homemade bread. Like I never buy commercial bread and I bought one once and they were just like, what is this? And I was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I just couldn't make it today. But what I've been obsessed with is biscuits. American biscuits versus Irish scones, Irish and, and Scottish scones. And that's been my main, my, that was my lockdown baking because I didn't know how to make biscuits and I wanted biscuits and I was stuck in Ireland where you cannot get biscuits, American biscuits. You wanted light, fluffy cake flour, those sort of very Southern, you pull them apart and there's steam coming out and very fine crumb, that kind of thing. Yeah, I didn't want a scone. You know, I didn't know how to make either one. So now I've done a whole bunch of different recipes and I would post my biscuits and people would go, oh, you made scones. And I'm like, they're not scones. These are biscuits and there's a difference. And I, then I started going, well, what is the difference? <laughs> you know, how can I talk to me? And what I've discovered is that there's usually more butter in biscuits and less liquid and the scones generally although there's a range for biscuits and for scones but the, the scones generally are more crumbly they, they kind of start to fall apart a little bit if they're made correct whereas the biscuits a little bit more bready and you can put you know i always say you don't put bacon on a scone so now i can make biscuits and i can make scones i made scones to make my uh 
my ex-mother-in-law go, these are good. And I was like, yay. Can you make whole grain biscuits or scones? I can make whole grain. There's really good flours in Ireland, actually. They, even the most basic flours, I think, are better than sort of the cheapest flours in the States. Like, so I've been just getting whole, you know, self-rising whole meal flour. And the whole meal, I also make soda bread. The whole meal in Ireland is totally different than the States. So figuring out how to also translate all the flours and what does self-rising mean in the States? It's different than what it means in, in Ireland. It's been really fascinating. I love it. I would like to hear about whole grain biscuits at some point or whole grain scones. I make a whole grain cheese scone that's awesome. That's what I make with when I make soup. It's almost 100% whole meal and there's cheddar in there and they're yummy. Thanks a million. Really appreciate your time and great to meet you. Thank you. And, you know, thanks for what you're doing to try to make cooking accessible for somebody like me. Like we had both of those books and I know you've done a lot since then, but there's a lot of people out there who are trying to eat better, didn't learn you know, and then where do you go? I mean, the joy of cooking is a little passe in terms of wanting to learn healthy techniques that are, you know, encapsulating sort of what's going on in the world as well. So anyway, just a, a shout out to say thank you for what you're doing to add to the positive conversation around that. Appreciate that. Thank you. Take care of yourselves. Have a good tour. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Rhiannon is very into biscuits and talks about making them. I thought I'd give you my super simple, very dependable buttermilk biscuits made with buttermilk and butter, both of which are essential. Preheat the oven to 450. That's worth doing because these only take a minute. And start with two cups of flour. Cake flour is better here. And you'll need a little more for shaping the biscuits. Combine that with a tablespoon of baking powder, a teaspoon of baking soda, and a teaspoon of salt. And then add five tablespoons of very cold butter cut into half-inch slices. Work that into the flour mixture with your fingers until the mixture looks like coarse meal. And then moisten that with around three-quarters of a cup of buttermilk. You can use thin yogurt if you like, but buttermilk is really the best here. I can also let you in on the age-old secret of taking whole milk, adding a tablespoon of white vinegar, putting that in the microwave for 15 seconds and letting it stand for 10 minutes. That'll give you something very akin, flavor-wise anyway, to buttermilk. Add the buttermilk to the flour mixture and stir. Again, that's about three quarters of a cup of buttermilk. Stir until the mixture comes together and forms a ball. Then turn that dough out onto a floured surface, a board you can knead on, and knead it a few times, adding a little more flour to your hands if it's too sticky, but no more than you need. Then press or roll the dough out about three quarters of an inch thick and cut into one and a half to two and a half inch rounds with a biscuit cutter, or I usually wind up using a glass. Put the rounds on an ungreased baking sheet. There's enough grease in there. You can press together the scraps and roll it out and cut out more biscuits or you can make weird shapes if that turns you on. That's fun too. Just bake for five or 10 minutes until they're golden brown. It depends on what size they are and serve them really soon, like within 10 or 15 minutes. These are heavenly. They are the real thing. And you can use whole wheat pastry flour instead of cake flour if you like. It'll take a little more buttermilk, but the process is about the same. So wonderful. 
Okay, that does it for today. Sending enormous thank yous and admiration to both Rhiannon Giddens and Francesco Teresi. I love a conversation centered around food and music, and we will do more of them. You can follow Rhiannon on Instagram and Twitter at Rhiannon Giddens. That's R-H-I-A-N-N-O-N-G-I-D-D-E-N-S. And on Facebook at Rhiannon Giddens Music. Follow Francesco on Instagram and Twitter at Fra Teresi, F-R-A-T-U-R-R-I-S-I, and on Facebook at Francesco Teresi Music, F-R-A-N-C-E-S-C-O-T-U-R-R-I-S-I Music. The two are currently on tour. It's early November as I'm recording this, and they were just in Poughkeepsie. Look for those dates on RhiannonGiddens.com and FrancescoTeresi.com. Look for more information about me, about the podcast, and so on at BitmanProject.com or MarkBitman.com. Coming up later this week, we will have a special edition of this podcast where Carrie Conan and I will talk with Kate Bitman about our new book, Bitman Bread. That's going to be fun, so look for that. Okay, thank you all for listening. See you soon. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.